Amen. You may be seated. There are a few times in my life when somebody has touched me to the core. And I think there's a common denominator in those individuals. It's when that person has given their life to something that mattered to them. And I can say that today's speaker has been one of those people that's touched me to the core. He has given his life to one simple spiritual truth. To give is to live. He's written a book by that name, and he has inspired millions across the world because it's been written in many languages about and teaching about that simple principle. Dwayne and I got the pleasure of hearing him speak um, last year here in Houston uh, when a bunch of nonprofits got together and were trying to figure out how to inspire people to give their life away. And he stood up, and he had us in the palm of his hands, and I'm sure he'll have you here in a minute. He started his uh, ministry as a Methodist pastor, but 39 years ago, God called him to this spiritual truth and called him to live his life teaching people to give their life away. And he did this with his best friend and formed a a company called Lawson and Williams. His best friend just happened to be an African-American fellow. That just simply wasn't done 39 years ago. But they did this ministry together and became very active in several Uh, giving voice to several people that were in the margins. The Civil Rights Movement, the Women's Movement, and they've been one of the only Christian nonprofit firms to help gay churches or churches that have an outreach to the LGBTQ community to teach us these simple principles. And so I am so honored and so grateful that Dr. Doug Lawson is with us today. Thank you, my friend, for joining me in this ministry. Hello. Maybe we bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can tell from my voice that I wasn't born in Texas. I was born in a little part of the world that in 1607, some people from England came. I was born five miles from where they settled on the James River at Jamestown in Virginia. And back in that crazy state, there was a red-haired guy in his early 30s who was called upon by his fellow citizens of what was not a nation at the time to write a document. It's the document really beyond our Constitution and beyond the realm of any of us to understand how anybody could put into words what he did. This crazy red-haired Virginian said it was our inalienable right to pursue happiness. Being a Virginian, I started out saying, I want to do that. So I asked my mother, as a good Virginia boy, how do you get happiness? And she said to me, young man, you've got to get an education. Well, I did. I went certifiably insane with an education. Not only did I go to high school, I went to college, I went to seminary, and then on to graduate school. And 10 years later, after 22 years of education, I was in the dark Carter's in Durham, North Carolina, of a place called Duke, 
with five guys, sorry about that, there were no women on my committee, sitting in a room deciding my fate after 22 years. And they came out and they said, Dr. Lawson, you may come back in the room. And I went back in with a PhD. My wife at the time claimed I got into the car. We drove back from Durham, North Carolina to Newport News, Virginia, five miles from where the settlers first came. And she claimed for the only time she ever has known me, I was totally silent. <laughs> I had nothing to say because after 22 years, I had, I had arrived. I had gotten an education. But strangely enough, beginning with that car ride, I had not found happiness. Well, my mother also told me to get married. Well, I did. She said, have children, and I did. And she said, get a dog, and I got two of them. And she, <laughs> she, she said, get a car, and I got a car. And, and I, I got a home. I got everything that's supposed to make you happy. But I wasn't happy. But you go back to a Christmas. After all this education, I was broke. I came from a wonderful family. I borrowed, never stole, but I worked five jobs at one time. One time as a janitor, which was the best job I ever had. And, and yet I was heavily in debt. And it was Christmas. And I had a little boy named Sam. Never forget it. I wanted to do that thing that would bring him happiness. You know, I wanted to get him something for Christmas, but I didn't have the money. And I don't know where this came from. I just kind of, it just came to me. And I wrote him a Christmas card. Dear Sam, for Christmas this year, I'm going to give you one hour of my time each day next year. Merry Christmas. Dad. Well, the next day I came to the door and there's this little guy standing and he says, Dad, Dad, can we have our time? From that day forth, he never spelled it H-O-U-R. He never had a stopwatch. He always called it O-U-R, our time. And on the face of that little boy, after all that education and marriage and, and cars and, and mortgages and houses and, and everything that was a part of my life, for the first time, I found what this crazy red-haired Virginian had been talking about. I found in the face of a little guy that I gave all that I had, which was really my time, I found happiness. Amazing, isn't it? That crazy little book I wrote, which is in 11 languages now, just went into Mandarin Chinese right after Korean. I went down to Mexico when it went into Spanish. And therefore, the only time since I wrote that book 20 years ago, a thousand people lined up in Spanish. I signed, not my name in Spanish, I just signed these books and gave them out to these wonderful people in Mexico. This whole message of, of giving I found in the face of my little Sam the happiness through giving for the first time in my life, really, all that I had. And all that I had was my time. It's an interesting thing 
you see up here something called imagine 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 this incredible new sanctuary this incredible new church that's going to have a ministry to reach out to people probably none of whom are sitting here today and you don't even know some of them haven't even been born yet but these people if you can imagine will be brought to the same thing I was brought to the same happiness you heard it from the scripture this morning it's very simple everybody wants to know about Christianity what is it what is it what is the good news that Jesus preached and we can find well my friends it's simply in one verse in the scripture God so loved the world what did he do he gave his only begotten son he gave us Jesus Christ that was God's gift to us so what in the world should we do as Christians to respond to this gift simply enough we respond with our giving. You know, you're going to be asked to give to imagine. You're going to be asked to give to this church. Let me tell you something. This church does not need, nor does this ministry need, your money. You know what this is all about? It has nothing to do with this new church that we want to do. It has nothing to do with this ministry you want to reach out. It has to do with you. You and Doug need to give more than this church needs to receive. Do you know anything about giving? Well, I know a little bit, and I hope that someday you'll get a chance to read that book, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating that what I discovered. Givers live healthier, longer, happier lives than non-givers. In fact, it's been said, and I look at uh, the, the, the people who have become givers, and I look at the population, and I'll separate it for a moment, into the male part of the population. And I want to say something to all of you men now, you you women can just be quiet for a moment and listen to this. <laughs> Men are told, I mean, every other ad in a magazine, on television, you know, <clears throat> gentlemen, God put you on this planet so that you could retire. And particularly, God said to you, you can retire at age 65. Because God wants you to retire at 65. <laughs> and I, I went back and studied that a little bit and, and found it was 1935. And the Congress of the United States, in all of its wisdom, after the Depression, decided to help, quote-unquote, older men, older women they didn't consider. And they, they, they put something together called Social Security. Have you heard of that? And, and, and the interesting thing was, they didn't know how to fund it then. They don't know how to fund it now. <laughs> Democrat or Republican, they'll have more fun again debating that. They had fun in 1935. So this is what they decided in the wisdom of the Congress of the United States of America. 
When did men die in 1935? The average age was 58. The wisdom. The wisdom of Social Security. If we set retirement just far enough away from when they're all dead, we won't have to pay any of it out. <laughs> the wisdom of 65 was the wisdom of Congress because we didn't worry about women because women were not in the workforce and they weren't not thought of as a problem. It was these old geezers at 58, <laughs> you know. And so here we are today Retire, and retire early. Do you know anything about retired men? Retired men who retire to stop what they're doing, to lose their purpose in life, and to get away and do nothing, die within 18 months of their retirement. If you ever wondered why there's so many Widows on the marriage side of things is because all the husbands are dead. They are retired husbands, dead. But they've also studied men at 65 who have ignored what Congress said, and maybe they've retired because they were forced like airplane pilots to get, but at 65 plus an hour, they're busier than ever. They're volunteering, giving themselves back to the world. They're starting a new business that really is working with the environment. They're doing something, and they're doing something not in 18 months, but the average age of a man after retirement, he lives beyond the man who retires if he is giving himself to the world. He outlives them by 18 years. It's amazing. But for all of you women, since you don't have to worry about this nonsense, you outlive us anyway, you know. <laughs> Let me go to you as a volunteer. They have studied women uh, volunteering. They go to hospitals where women volunteer, and they take their blood in the morning before they start the day, and they know instantly the endorphin level of that woman. She is all day working at the hospital, volunteering her time. It's the end of the day. She's exhausted, and they take her blood again. Do you know what they found out? That after eight, years, eight hours of volunteering, this woman's endorphin level has been raised. It's been raised to, to a height that protects her at least for the next 24, sometimes they say 48 hours, from any disease that would attack her body because the endorphin system is the protection of her body. This volunteer woman goes home that night to her family and for the first time during the week they notice she's not the old grump she was the night before. <laughs> they notice a different thing about this woman whose endorphin levels have been raised. Not only is her health better, which they don't have any idea about that, but her attitude has changed. She's a little happier. Life is a little better at the end of an exhausting day of giving herself to others. 
Go back to Sam, little guy at the door. He's now a parent himself. He had a little boy named Josh. I asked Sam, did he remember our time? He said, oh yeah, Dad, I did. And I've watched Sam with Josh. Sam is a better parent than I ever was because he didn't wait till I finished all that stupid higher education, you know. He started earlier. And how did he know to start earlier with his son? Because his crazy dad had given him the only thing his dad ever had to give him. He gave him his time. And Sam's been doing the same thing with Josh. Back here to imagine. Can you imagine what God has in store for you if you can take what he has loaned to you and share it with others? Amen. I've already confessed all those years of higher education, but they're catching up with me. I've been to uh, <clears throat> a big 50th for my college. And since I'm a fundraiser, they made me chairman of the committee to give the gift. I went to the oldest Methodist college in America, Randolph-Macon College in Virginia. And so I'm sitting around a table with six bald-headed great guys that claimed they went to school with me. I didn't go to school with any gray-haired, bald-headed men. <laughs> and I don't know who they were. They claimed they knew me and, and so on, but we were chit-chatting about Randolph-Macon. And, and when we found out an answer to a question in 133 years, what was the largest gift ever given to that college? And we found out it was $600,000. And I said, in a moment of fundraising bliss, gentlemen, we can beat that. And they looked, they said, Doug, there are only 62 members of our class left. You know, we're going to beat $600,000. And I said, yes. And I said, we're going to start it with, I'm going to make the biggest gift I've ever made to Randolph-Macon. And it ended up being, for me, my million-dollar gift, which was $75,000, big time. Take me a long time to do that. And I got five of them to match me. And before it was all over with, imagine it, Randolph-Macon College, the oldest Methodist college in America. Only a few guys left in a class of 1957. We gave them a check. Remember, the largest gift in the 133 years was $600,000. Imagine this. We gave them a check for $1,600,000. My class is so proud of that. They're so happy about that. But guess what we really had as the motivation? You know what our class gift is going for? A monument to us? No. It's going to a scholarship fund <laughs> to help other little Doug Lawsons go to Randolph-Macon in the future. It's totally a scholarship fund. It turned us on. It motivated us. You can't imagine what a million six hundred thousand dollars was to a group of guys. Can you imagine what's going to happen here? But I can tell you, standing here, about my meager $75,000, which is big money for me. I don't know what big money for you is. That's big money for me, the biggest gift I've ever given in my life. But I stand here 
feeling pretty good about that. In fact, I feel that that $75,000 that God loaned to me is better off out there circulating to give other kids like Doug was when he started at age 17 to go to Randolph making a chance to go there. Can you imagine what your gift will mean here to people you will never meet to have a chance to know that God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. It's powerful. But let's go back to happiness. In the beginning of my book, since you'll probably never read it, there's a Chinese proverb. <laughs> I'll quote it to you. This is the fun. This is what you can take home. You can use it the next time you speak. It's about happiness. If you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. Good suggestion. Best thing going for your health. If, if you want to be happy for a day, and remember the Chinese said this, not me, you know, if you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. Being from fishing country, out here it's hunting, and it's fishing too. Now the next one, particularly for all of us in the gay lesbian thing, the partners and marriage and all mixed up with the straights and everything, but remember the Chinese said this, if you want to be happy for a month, get married. Uh, I'm not quite sure anybody really wants to listen to that, but that's what they said. It lasts for about a month. But anyway, it goes on. If you want to be happy for a year, inherit a fortune. Or in America, to be today, win the lottery. It'll get you happiness for a year. But if you want to be happy forever, help someone else. Isn't that powerful? That's what giving is all about. It's about the transformation of your life by sharing what you have, which I had time, I gave it to Sam. You and I have treasure, I gave it to Randolph Macon. You have treasure, you have a chance to give it here. And also, think of this choir, the talent that was just given to you. you. You experienced a magic moment, the magic moment of music, the talent that they were giving back to you. Incredible. They got more out of that than you did, and yet you, like me, were enthralled with the sound of their voices. My friends, it's so simple. Giving here in this church has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with you. You need to give because that's the way God made you. You're not made to hoard and keep. And being a minister, you know, I love weddings and all those kind of things, but I've had to perform funerals. And I want to report to you today that I have had funerals for mega-millionaires. But I have never seen a truck, a car, follow them to the grave with all the money they had when they died. Do you know what happens to all that you've accumulated when you die? 
nothing. Do you know what happens to all that you have when you share it before you die? It lives on forever. That's a simple truth. You can't outgive God, but there's another truth. Everything you give away, you have forever. And the person whose funeral I'm conducting, who's given it all away before they die, it's not a funeral. The whole congregation is there to do what? To mourn the death of so-and-so? but to celebrate the life of what they have done while they were still alive. <laughs> what a difference. So the question I'll leave you with here is do you want to imagine or do you want to keep it until you die so that you will have lost it forever? Or do you want to be a part of a ministry that will go on for generations to come? I think I know your answer. That's what this campaign is all about. Not about the church, but about you. My friends, I celebrated last week 14 years of being cancer-free. Fourteen years ago on Valentine's Day, I was told I had cancer. I've always wanted to write another book, My Funny Valentine. <laughs> on the 14th anniversary of that, on the 14th of February, I went to my oncologist who had become my oncologist 14 years ago in New York City. And he took my blood, you know, they do everything. If you've ever had cancer, they, they check you out. And I checked out pretty good. And so we made a compact, <laughs> and you're kind of guessing my age, that 14 years from now, he and I would meet again, <laughs> you know, and we shall. What a victory. I'm so thrilled about Doug Lawson, AC after cancer. I'm a better person than before cancer. I mean, that's an incredible moment in my life. But the greatest moment in my life is not the cancer moment. It's the moment when I became a giver at the door of that apartment when Sam said, can we have our time, Dad? Can we have our time? Wow, was my life changed then. And wow, can your life be changed here in this campaign? It's not about money. It's about what God meant you to be. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this life. Thank you for the challenges that confront us with our health, with our wealth, with our family, with our partners, with our friends. But Lord, show us today that you gave us your Son. Show us the way then we can give back. Help us, Lord, and help us to imagine 
what this ministry can really be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.